Hello and welcome in to another edition of the IdahoSports.com PrepCast presented by Steve's Hometown Toyota. I'm your host, Brandon Bainey, and coming up on today's edition of the PrepCast, we'll talk to Ridgeview softball coach Jody Hoagland. The Warhawks are off to a fantastic start and... Also, the biggest softball tournament of the regular season is coming up this weekend, so a prime opportunity to see what's going on softball-wise. We're also going to talk to IdahoSports.com broadcaster Alec Pope. He went to Madison High School's brand-new Bobcat Fieldhouse last week, shot some great footage for us. We'll talk to him about that and dive into the top performers early on here in the track and field season. Before we get to that, though, let's... uh, catch you up on what you might have missed in terms of highlights and, and notable things that happened around the state of Idaho this past week in the athletic spectrum. Let's start with the Idaho High School Cheer and Dance Championships. Yes, those took place last week at the Idaho Center in Nampa and all of the teams that won state titles well earned. Your 2021 cheer champions were Highland in 5A, Bonneville in 4A, Sugar Salem in 3A, and Oakley in 2A. What about dance champions, 2021 dance winners, Eagle in 5A, Columbia in 4A, and Idaho Arts in 3A. Now, the 4A dance race was particularly compelling as Preston and Columbia neck and neck the entire way. Preston took first place in the hip hop and kick categories while Columbia finished first in military and dance. Now, in the two categories that they didn't win, hip-hop and kick, Columbia managed to finish second, and Preston nearly did the same. The Indians finished second in the military competition, but slipped behind Shelley for third place in the dance category, and that third-place finish was ultimately the difference as Columbia earned a hard-fought state title. Congratulations to the Wildcats. How about in baseball? A couple of noteworthy performances uh, on the pitcher's mound. Post Falls junior Tyson Rutherford pitched a five-inning perfect game as the Trojans defeated Lakeland 22 to nothing. Post Falls coach Mick Zeller said it was the first perfect game he had been a part of in his 33 years of coaching. And it wasn't even the only perfect game. Derek Schumacher of Rocky Mountain also pitched a five-inning perfect game against Highland in a 15-0 win. Moving on to softball now, and uh, an interesting week for the Coeur d'Alene program. The Vikings played Lewiston in a doubleheader this past Saturday. In the top of the fourth inning of Game 1, both Coeur d'Alene coaches were ejected, leaving the players to basically coach themselves for the remainder of that first game, plus the entire second game. Now, Lewiston swept the doubleheader 7-3 and 8-7, but the way the Vikings responded was impressive, especially in that second game, not having any coaches. They only lost by a run. Lewiston, by the way, 7-0 overall, 4-0 in Inland Empire League play. So Lewiston looking pretty strong out on the softball diamond. Uh, So Coeur d'Alene, yeah, had both coaches ejected on Saturday, and then their eventful week wasn't finished. Tuesday night, the Vikings took on crosstown rival Lake City in a doubleheader. Phoebe Schultz struck out 17 batters and pitched a two-hitter to lead the Timberwolves to a 3-0 win in Game 1. But in Game 2, the Vikings led 8-6, heading into the seventh and final inning. Lake City rallied, though, and scored four times in the top of the seventh to take the lead at 10-8. But Coeur d'Alene never got a chance to bat in the bottom of the seventh as the game was called due to darkness. Now, you can't end a game without giving both teams a chance to complete the inning. So the final score actually reverted back to the last completed inning, which was the sixth. So all those four runs that Lake City had scored on the top of the seventh, they go away, and the Vikings were granted the 8-6 to six win. Other softball action, Preston 
received a walk-off 9-8 win over Bear Lake in a non-conference game. With two outs in the seventh inning and all knotted at eight, Drew Despain singled home Kendall Keller to pick up the win for Preston High. And how about this one? We talked about games being suspended due to darkness. Well, the only thing that could stop the softball teams from Prairie and Lapway was a lack of daylight. Tied at 21 through six innings of play, the White Pine League contest was suspended due to darkness. The game will resume on April 15th when Lapway travels to Cottonwood to play the Cardinals. And then once the first game is completed, the two teams will then play another full contest. So for now, 21-21 tie with an inning to play. Pretty interesting stuff. All right, what else is going on spring sports-wise? How about golf? After riding a bus for three hours and competing in freezing temperatures, Parker Freeman finished as the top individual at Monday's Moscow Invitational in Clarkston, Wyoming. The Coeur d'Alene High golfer finished two strokes over par and carded a total score of 74. His performance also helped the Vikings win the team title by 20 strokes over second-place post falls. On Wednesday, the American Falls boys and Snake River girls captured team titles at the American Falls Spring break invitational individually snake rivers mackenzie campbell fired a 71 and that was the lowest score not just in the girls competition but overall she finished one stroke ahead of boys champ logan mills of american falls who shot a 72 pretty interesting tennis uh kind of scattershot right now due to weather and other schedule related factors um up north, Grangeville and Lewis County were able to make their debuts this week. Some of the Boise area schools are off and running. Timberline, I don't know, looks like they might be okay this year in tennis. But uh, the main story to come out of tennis this week was Sandpoint. The Bulldogs' top two singles players, Josh Embry and Christian Story, switched things up in a duel with Lake City this past Tuesday. Embry and Story usually compete as singles players while they teamed up as Sandpoint's number one doubles team, and earned an 8-3 win. Not only that, but Sandpoint's number three singles player got bumped up to number one, and he won his match as well. So a little juggling of the lineup there for the Sandpoint tennis team worked out pretty well. Track and field we won't get into here because we're going to do a deep dive into the top leaders in track and field with Alec Pope coming up in just a little bit, and also Ridgeview softball coach Jody Hoagland up next. Before we get to that, though, we have to tell you that the PrepCast is presented by Steve's hometown Toyota in Ontario, where for the 18th straight year, they've been named Toyota's President's Award winner for outstanding customer service. Don't forget to check out Steve's hometown Chevrolet, Buick GMC in Fruitland, and Steve's hometown Motors in Weezer. The Steve's hometown dealerships, proud to support the hometown student-athletes as sponsor of the PrepCast here on idahosports.com. All right, up next, Ridgeview High softball coach Jody Hoagland talking about the Warhawks' great start to the season. Joining us now on the idahosports.com PrepCast, Jody Hoagland, head softball coach at Ridgeview High School. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Of course. So you are new to the varsity position at Ridgeview High, but you've been involved in the program for the past couple of seasons. Uh, tell us a little bit about your coaching background. So actually, Ridgeview is my first start. I got the call to be the JV head coach right as the school opened. Um, so I've been coaching, was coaching the JV program for the last four years. And then I got the call to have an interview to become the head coach last season and got the call and been with the program for what school's been open for five years now. So been part of the program for five years. So this is technically your second year as the head coach, but really, I mean, 2020, 
was lost because of COVID-19. That was your yeah. quote unquote first year. What, what was that experience like? Um, it was kind of nerve wracking to begin with, like having everything to start. And then once, so we were able to get three games in and then we got the call that, you know, we had to get shut down and things were going to be iffy from the rest of the season, but it was kind of, kind of hectic. It was kind of sad to watch, you know, lose a season and then lose some seniors that year too. It was kind of, kind of devastating for that part of it, but you know, we fought through it and we're, we're happy to be back. Very happy to be back. So you're off to a great start this year, uh, an eight and one record coming in. What have been the keys to your early success? Well, it's just finding the girls and becoming a unit. Um, I feel like our first game kind of against Timberline kind of showed us, you know, the little things that we needed to work on and, you know, we've been progressing ever since and we've been finding each other and becoming more as a family every single day. And the girls have been awesome to watch. They take what we've been coaching and they've been awesome just going through the motions and dialing in everything. So we're we're on the right track to where we want to be. Did you find there was much of an adjustment after almost an entire year of not playing softball with your players? A little bit. Um, they all came back, you know, anxious and ready to go, even though some of them were able to play some summer ball that that last year of 2020. But, you know, they were we kind of left off right where we were starting at the end of last season. So I was very impressed. All the girls came back and they have, you know, a little chip on their shoulder to, you know, have something something to play for this this season. So who are some of the key players who's really been leading Ridgeview softball this year? Uh, so our number one pitcher, Reese McIntyre, she's been phenomenal in the circle for us. She just comes out and, you know, my catcher, Macy uh, Polishki as well. She's been awesome at the plate for us. And I have a other, other few players that have, you know, been hitting the ball very well. But uh, Reese and Macy have been dominating along with Maddie McKay, who's also one of my seniors. Um just those three have been phenomenal, like keeping us up, upbeat and taking taking the reins away. So it's been awesome tell, to watch. Yeah. Now tell me if I'm wrong here. I, I think the most important position on a softball team that wants to be successful is the number two pitcher because everybody, it seems like, has an ace. Everybody has a stud. Yep. And then and then it's, it's that pitching depth that will really carry you. So how has that been uh, in terms of developing a couple of arms? It's actually been pretty good. To be honest, I feel like we're pretty solid in the pitching. I have Reese McIntyre, who's my senior. Um, Sierra Escalar, she is a sophomore. And then I have another sophomore, Autumn. She She's new to the program. And those three have, are just phenomenal. They they pick off each other and they you know work with each other on what they need to accomplish at practices when we're throwing bullpens. And all three of them are just blowing my mind. So in our pitching depth, I feel like we're pretty strong in that. In terms of competition, the uh, Class 4A District 3, the uh, Southern Idaho Conference, no shortage of good teams there. Who else is standing out to you early on here? Honestly, I would say Bishop Kelly and Middleton. The, those those two have always been part of the top competition in the SIC. And, you know, we're a pretty strong division anyways, I feel like. But those two – definitely have have me catching my eyes and you know the others aren't aren't far behind but those two definitely stick out so far this season 
Yeah, it's it's a league too where there's good teams at the top, but then I mean, if you're not on your game, you know, you could lose to one of those teams right. towards the bottom too, right? How do you guard it's, against that? You know, you just go in and you play one pitch at a time. That's why I tell my girls we step out on that field and we have to take everything one one thing at a time, one out at a time, and one one pitch at a time. So it could be anybody's game. Somebody could just get that lucky hit, you know, right up in the gap and that's just that's just the beauty of softball that's that's the game so anybody could be on their a day anybody so you've got some good non-conference competition coming up here on spring break let's start with uh thursday you picked up a non-conference game with lakeland which is a team you know it's all the way up in raftrum normally you wouldn't get to see them but they're coming down to compete and so why not schedule them for a game Right. We had a, we had an extra game opening and, you know, I would talk to my AD. I'm like, yeah, you know, I want some more competition. I want the girls to get ready and, you know, for our second half of the season. So, and Lakeland is a very decent, you know, good team. Like they can hit the ball and I'm not sure on the background of their pitching, but I know they can bring the bats. And so I feel like it's going to be a very good competition. Very, very good. And they come from District 1 and 2 up north. They're also a 4A program. So do you use that as a measuring stick to kind of see where your team stacks up, not just in, in District 3, but maybe throughout the entire state? Oh, 100%. 100%. Because when you get into state, you just don't know who you're going to see. So when we face like Twin Falls in the off season or Jerome, like any 4A class like that, like it's awesome to have that, you know, as you keep going on in districts and hopefully when you get into state, you you can measure up and say, okay, we, we faced these pitchers before. Now we can kind of buckle down and see what we need to, we need to do to get us a win. So after the one-off game with Lakeland, you start the WTP tournament. WTP is win the pitch. Mm-hmm. and it, It's the biggest softball tournament of the year. There's going to be over 30 teams competing, 5A, 4A, and 3A programs. How, how exciting is it to, to be able to uh, be a part of this annual tradition? It, it's an awesome feeling because, I mean, I know back in the past, David uh, Kemper, he started this WTP tournament and to be able to continue hosting and continue being a part of it is just phenomenal because it is a very huge tournament and the teams that come in are very quality teams and they want the best competition. And I feel like playing in this tournament, you will get the best competition. So not only is your team competing, but you've also taken on some of the hosting duties along with uh, Eagle, Meridian, and Valley View. How much extra does that add to your plate being a host school for the tournament also? It adds quite a bit because I want, you know, as any coach does, you want your fields to be perfect. And so, you know, I've been putting in hours. I've had, you know, family members and friends helping me put in hours of work this week, especially with how the weather's been just trying to get the fields pristine and perfect for the teams that are coming in and we're taking care of this weekend. Yeah. And we should mention, it's not just a varsity competition. There's going to be JV competition as well. So you got to make mm-hmm. sure that JV field is looking good, right? Yep, exactly. And you know, we're putting in much work in as we can and making it super perfect for everybody. So you mentioned the weather. Uh, you've been pretty lucky with the weather so far this year. It sounds like you got a lot of games in. Yeah, it, we haven't had any cancellations yet, knock on wood, that it just keeps continuing because the weather's been absolutely beautiful. So I, I hope to see more more good weather the rest of the season. So your team specifically at the WTP uh, tournament will take on Bora and Gooding on Friday and then Madison and Fruitland on Saturday. That's a pretty good mix of uh, 5A 
three A competition. What what are your thoughts on the the pool draw that you got? I think it's phenomenal. Bora ha- is a quality team, and they've come a long way. And I know they have a decent decent pitcher, and I look forward to hopefully facing her in the circle because you know that'd be good for the girls. And they they seem to have been hitting the ball very very well, and along with Gooding, who's a very good 3A class and they have some decent hitters from what I have known in the past and then especially with um, Madison and Fruitland too Um, all teams are very quality teams and I look forward to stacking up with those competitions and this will be kind of like when you get to state right you've got a lot of games multiple days in a row how much yeah how much will that help your preparation uh if you are fortunate enough to get to state later on i think it's gonna very work with us very well um seeing how long our pitchers can go giving each pitcher an opportunity in the circle this weekend to see how they stack up and you know see how long they can last throughout the innings um, I do know we go back to back on Friday, so it's trying to see like their mindset, see how they can bounce back from the first game and how tired they could be and just see where our mindset's at. If we can stay at a good mindset, I think the girls will be just fine because our physicals aspect is awesome. So, Yeah, and you talked about the back to back games in, in some of the more spread out areas in Idaho. That's common where schools will play double headers simply because mm-hmm. of the travel where you're at. You're fortunate enough that most of the schools are close by that you play a lot of one game um, matchups. Will this be the first back to back competition for you this year? It actually won't. We actually played Minico the beginning of last week as a doubleheader on Monday. And the girls, you know, bounced back very quickly with that doubleheader. Um, taking the first game in five innings and then going about maybe six innings the second game. And the girls never lost any momentum carrying forward. So the momentum from the first game just carried on through the second game. It was, it was awesome to watch. And then I feel like once we get past spring break here, we really hit the stretch drive of the season where teams are are starting to lock in and, and figure out where they're at. What will your team have to do to continue to be successful here in the second part of the season we we just have to keep chopping if that's been our like my motto the whole season if we keep chopping and if we stay solid with our hitting because one through nine are or one through 12 anybody that comes in you know they get they put the ball in play and if as long as we can keep putting the ball into play and our pitchers show up and our defense shows up i think we'll be just fine the girls work hard every single day in practice and they come with you know, the willing to put in that 110% every single day. And so if we just keep chopping, we'll, we'll be just fine and be right where we want to be at the end of the season. Okay. So I have to ask does keep chopping. Is that a metaphor like chopping at the tree and continue to be consistent? Or is it like literally chopping? Cause I know you can chop at the ball out of the box. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we tell the girls to be very aggressive and if we just keep chopping at the ball in the box, you know, things will go our way. If we just put the ball in play, you know, teams may make mistakes or we put the ball right where we want it to in the holes. And I just, I just keep telling them we have to keep chopping every single inning. Like, we just got to keep moving forward and they they've been stacking up to that expectation. So it's been awesome to watch. Jody Hoagland, softball coach at Ridgeview high. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. Good luck uh, in the non-conference competition here coming up and uh, good luck in the, in the latter part of the season as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Brandon.
Once again, that was Ridgeview softball coach Jody Hoagland. And I think that SIC race in, in the Class 4A ranks is going to be fascinating to watch all season long between Bishop Kelly and Middleton and Ridgeview, all kind of jockeying for position. Let's switch gears now. Talk to IdahoSports.com broadcaster Alec Pope. He lives in Rexburg and recently was able to tour the brand new Bobcat Fieldhouse at Madison High School. Uh, we put a nice video of it up. You know, Alec shot some footage for us, gave us a little walking tour, basically. We put that up on our YouTube channel. So friendly reminder, subscribe to our YouTube channel. All of these interviews we do on the podcast we upload to our YouTube channel so you can see great video content there. And also don't forget to like us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're always posting content there as well to stay completely plugged into what's going on at IdahoSports.com. And so you don't sound dumb, right, when you're talking at the water cooler in terms of athletics in Idaho. Uh, yeah, just subscribe to uh, all of our uh, and follow us on all of our social media and our YouTube channel. All right. Enough talking for me, though. Here's Alec Pope, IdahoSports.com broadcaster. Joined now on the IdahoSports.com prepcast by Alec Pope, one of our IdahoSports.com broadcasters. Alec, what's going on? Uh, nothing. Just uh, over here in Rexburg, uh, trying to survive this second winter that we're having. Yeah. Uh, I thought we were out of the woods in terms of spring sports. Everything was going off without a hitch and then boom, a slew of cancellations. Yeah. But uh, that's just what you expect. You know, I know high school sports in the spring, never uh, quite track season or baseball season without a snow delay. Yeah. This time of year can be tough for those outdoor spring sports, which leads us perfectly into our first topic. And that is Madison High School in Rexburg, a beautiful new facility, the Bobcat Fieldhouse officially complete. They had an open house last week and you went on assignment for us at IdahoSports.com. Put up a great video on our YouTube channel and all our social media, Facebook and Twitter. So be sure to check out Idaho Sports on all of those platforms. Uh, but give us your impressions of this Bobcat Fieldhouse? Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this uh, in high school sports. It, it is seriously, when I walked in, I was, you know, expecting something big. Uh, I couldn't believe it. The, really, it's on the scale of a Division I uh, college football program Fieldhouse. Uh, after I got home, I was looking at pictures of the Boise State uh, field house that they have over there uh, for their football team. And it's, it is literally uh, on that same level. It is a professional uh, style uh, field house. It is seriously uh, overwhelming. I, I took down a few notes because some of these, these numbers about the place are ridiculous. 45,000 square feet of playable space. Now inside you have, it's about half turf the other half uh hard surface area three tennis courts inside six pickleball courts uh there's a two-lane track around it you've got batting cages and driving cages for golf it's completely netted the entire thing um pretty quick too only 15 months to complete uh and wow it's just it is seriously amazing i can see it from my apartment in rexburg and it's like i don't know <laughs> it's it is crazy how big it is it it's mind-blowing. I think the most impressive stat you just dropped on me was that 15-month construction deadline because uh, of the pandemic. You know, construction projects all over have been delayed because of that. That's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, if you if you came to a football game of theirs a year ago, 
you wouldn't have had any idea they were building it. And then you show up today and you, I mean, you drive past on the interstate, you can see there's the big, huge stadium there uh, and the field house right next door. The, the facilities for Madison High School are just ridiculous now. Uh, you've got the field house and they're also built with it, uh, this tennis complex. There's nine tennis courts outdoors as well, three on the inside of that field house. Across the street from there, uh, you've got uh, the football stadium, 6,000 seats. It's got uh, batting cages inside. It has uh, inside the stadium, the tunnel entrances, LED lighting, a big video scoreboard, uh, the locker rooms inside there. It is, it is impressive. You have the tennis, a different, uh, excuse me, a track stadium right next door that uh, seats 1,000 people, nine-lane track. It's a big, huge track. They've got three full-size gyms inside. Uh, plus a, a big, huge weight room that overlooks uh, the football field. Seriously, uh, I mean, high school sports—you you can't technically recruit, but I mean, if you're uh, if you're a parent and you say, "Hey, I've got this, you know, really good athlete as as a kid, and I'm I'm looking for a place in Eastside to take them," it's hard not to be impressed by facilities like that. And you know, I think that's part of the thinking is saying, "Hey, this is going to make players want to stay around and and uh, attract families to come here." And two, it's going to keep co coaches around as well, because who, as a coach, who doesn't want to have those kind of facilities, all the resources you need? Yeah, and this all comes on the heels of the new football stadium being unveiled uh, pretty recently as well. The joke is that it's no longer Madison High School, it's Madison University. Yeah, <laughs> it, honestly, that's what it feels like. I've been to some smaller college football stadiums that pale in comparison to what they have. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. So, yeah, Madison Athletics, I mean, they've had good programs and good teams and good players and coaches throughout the years, and now they have the facilities to match that as well. Let's switch gears. Let's talk a little track and field. High school track and field finally off and running. It seems like at least every team has been able to compete at least once this year, which this early in the spring is always touch and go because you got to be outdoors. And the leaderboards already, Alec, like two weeks into the high, high school track season. I mean, there's some performances that are, have blown me away. Absolutely. I want to highlight a couple from uh, this part of the state up here in uh, in eastern Idaho. First off, uh, a name that you're familiar with if you, if you watch high school football around here, that's Connor Maloney. He's going to play football at Idaho State. Uh, he's from Skyline. Uh, right now, uh, in the 100-meter dash, he's a, he's a sprinter. He's an absolute stud. 11.33 back in March 18th at a Snake River meet. Now, that's good enough for seventh overall in the state, all classifications. But last year, he got down to an 11.04. So that's his PR. And if he was able to get back to that right now, that would make him, that would tie him. That's also 11.04 is the current state leader. So uh, it's early on in the season. That's the kind of thing you expect. You know, it's still colder. Uh, it's hard to get those higher speeds. And, you, you know, you expect a little bit of improvement as the season goes on. So I expect him to make a little bit of noise in the men's 100-meter dash. Um, another thing uh, from this side, in the men's side, uh, Blackfoot. I want to mention uh, their 1,600-meter relay team. Uh, right now, fastest in the state, any classification, uh, the 1,600-meter relay, that's a 200. 200, 400, 800, kind of that hybrid relay. Um, Jackson Ball, Tegan Thomas, another guy you're familiar with if you watch football around here. Uh, Dallin Morse and Eli Gregory. Uh, a time right now, 347.48 in that 1,600-meter dash. Uh, absolutely booking. Uh, so those are two that I say right now. Abs I'm, I would probably say those two are my favorites to win those 
events at their classification come state tournament time. Yeah, that 100-meter dash right now on the boys' side is loaded. Three guys have ran an 11.04. James Onanabosi of Bishop Kelly, and then a pair of, how crazy is this, Alec? A pair of Kimberly sprinters, Brett Bronson, the senior, and also freshman Gatlin Barry. You got to see him play basketball at the 3A state tournament. So not only an impressive debut there, but also out on the track running an 11.04 in his first meet of the season. Yeah, absolutely impressive. But if you know the Bear family from Kimberly, it's not surprising. Uh, These kids, uh, the Bears are nationally ranked decathletes. And so they're really well-rounded. They uh, very well, they're very high ranked as well in in high jump in the jumps. Uh, so absolute studs to watch. And uh, Gatlin Bear was a he was a stud up at the state tournament, like you said. Yeah, yeah. And then we, and then Brett Bronson from Kimberly as well has ran an eleven oh four. And how about this? Brett Bronson from Kimberly also has the best time in the four hundred a forty eight oh four forty eight oh four. That is flying for the four hundred. Yeah, it, it's cra- it, it really is. It's crazy. I mean. Basically, the standard, you can start to be a little competitive once you get a below 60 seconds, once you get below a minute. Uh, and then you're. it's really mainly just working down. See, whoever can get closest to 50 uh, in Idaho is, is going to be your state championship contenders. But a 48, that's impressive. And also, to be able to do a 100 and 400, they're both really sprints, but a 400 is much different than a 100. It's a very long sprint. So be a, to be able to be at the top of the state in both of those events uh, is a testament to what kind of athlete we're talking about here. Yeah, different skill sets for the 100 and the 400. Are you surprised that we, we've got these incredible times right out of the gate? It seems like usually you got to work up to that a little bit. Yeah, I, I honestly would say uh, I have been a bit surprised. Uh, it's still it's still March, and uh, most of these best records that we've seen have been from early March, even March 12th. Uh, there was a bunch of, uh, of meets in March 18th. There was a bunch of meets as well. Uh, and so we're going to hit our next round of meets here uh, in the next few days. But yeah, usually it's not till end of April. Now, of course, uh, places like Kimberly, Boise, that part of the state are going to be warmer uh, early on in the state, early on in the spring. Uh, then places like Eastern Idaho, Northern Idaho, Central Idaho. So that does give them a little bit of advantage where they're able to one, be outside training more. And then two, it's better conditions to be running in. Your muscles are, are looser and such. You, uh, you can usually typically get faster times. But really quick, Brent, I want to mention just a couple of things, a couple of other standouts to me. Um, over here, uh, this part of the state rig uh, from Rigby, Abby Hancock. Right now, uh, through all classifications, she's second in the 100 and seventh in the 200. Uh, very impressive. Uh, but I'll say this. <clears throat> Neither of those are PRs for Hancock. Uh, So again, kind of like what I said with Maloney, I expect those to improve as the year goes on. Uh, She's going to be a a state title contender for sure in those 5A ranks. And then finally, um, South Fremont, little shout out to my alma mater. Right now, they're first in 3A in the 1600 meter relay in the 4x4 and second in the 4x1 in for 3A. Uh, so really great relays, which is awesome to see if you're a South Fremont fan. Give a little shout out to my alma mater. But uh, to your back to your point, though, I, I'll tell you what, I have been a little bit surprised uh, that we've seen so many uh, quick times. And if you look at the leaderboard as well, so many PRs uh, early on in the season, I, I expect to see, you know, more PRs from those same people as the season goes on. 
Yeah, you talked about those South Fremont relay teams for the girls. And generally speaking, if the relay teams are performing well, chances are that they're going to be able to pick up some points in those sprints or distance races as well. So you would think South Fremont, at least on the girls' track side of things, looks pretty good. I think the the one and the two, like you said, with uh, with Rigby is going to be fascinating because Capitol High has a great sprinter, Megan Rose. She has the top time in the 100 right now, 12.67. And last week, she had the best time in the 200 as well. Now, she has since been surpassed by a couple of sprinters, but I really like the, uh, the matchup there in, in the 5A short sprints. Let's transition to some field events, and you're a. This works out perfectly because in high school you were a jumper. In high school, I was a thrower. So we can we can really divvy this up. What has stood out to you in the field side of things? Uh, I'll tell you what. Let me uh, let me actually pull this up really quickly so I can have it in front of me uh, while I talk about this. Um, but I think kind of similar to what we were talking about, how this has been. It's been impressive to see how many PRs, uh, that's what I've been noticing, how many PRs uh, there have been early on in the season. Uh, and of course, uh, I mean, there's a lot of factors that that go into that. I talked about the weather thing. That's something that you always have to be aware of. But uh, moving on into the season, it's it'll be interesting to see who can continue to improve, who is, uh, I guess, sitting around the same thing. is Because uh, even if you're leading right now, you kind of mentioned, especially in those those events where there's one or two or three, four people right at the top together. Uh, it's very easy if you don't improve to be passed towards the end of the season. Um, one thing that stuck out to me, high jump. Uh, right now, high jump. There are four people going six foot six early on in the season. Uh, that's two for Madison, Elijah Backstein, um, and then B back. I, I'm not sure what I think there might be. I wasn't able to figure it out. I think there might be a misspelling on athletic.net where most of the the names are, and then Tate Priestley down from Preston, and then Jake Lamoro uh, over from Filer. Uh, so three different classifications there: three A, four A, five A. But all going six six right now. Be interesting to see if any any of those guys are able to uh, throughout the season push up towards uh, seven feet. Well, and you mentioned those three competitors. 5A, 4A, 3A. So they are all the best in their respective class as well. Yeah, Tate Priestley from Preston is a kid that kind of got in a little bit during basketball season. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's not like, you know, you think of high jump and you think of these really tall guys. And, you know, he's probably like 6'2", maybe. But it was impressive to see him right off the bat at that burly quad come out with that uh, six foot six. Uh, anything on the girls' side stand out to you in the jumps, Alec? Yeah, absolutely. well, let me hi- highlight really quickly um, sure. before I move on. Uh, Gatlin Bear that you mentioned, just a freshman, and right now third in all classifications in the triple jump, going over 43 feet already. Just a, It's seriously crazy to think that just a freshman uh, is doing that. Um, but to, to go over to the girls' side, also in the triple jump, uh, another a really great basketball player, a younger sister of the Northwest Nazarene signee, Kate Clark, is Kendall Clark, who was a stud in the state tournament, Help lead our team to a, a state championship in the two A girls tournament. Right now, in the she's a, uh, a two A competitor, but leading the entire state uh, in the triple jump at thirty four ten, nearly thirty five feet uh, already. Man, and it came back on March tenth uh, for Kendall Clark. But right behind her, you've got thirty four nine, thirty four four. A couple girls from Orofino, Ruby Kessinger and Sydney Zywina. Uh, all the all of them pushing 35 feet that i mean 
that is seriously, seriously impressive to see those kind of numbers on the girls' side coming out. Uh, because honestly, a 35-foot a jump is, there, is above average uh, for high school boys uh, when we're talking about these jumps. And that's all two-way competitors as well. In that yeah. Jump. yeah. Yeah. That's, is- a, that's a crazy thing. It's kind of interesting, all, all of those guys. Um, but uh, then long jump uh, led. It's, uh, it's Bishop Kelly, 4A school, Paige Takipi with 17 feet, 11 inches PR of hers. And then all the way down to 1A uh, in second right now, 17 feet, one inch uh, from Raft River, Libby Bowden, uh, also a PR of hers. So, I, I mean, there's a, there's almost a foot difference there. Um, Page to keepy from Bishop Kelly, absolutely impressive so far, almost 18 feet. Uh, so those are a couple of, I guess, the, the standout jumpers on the girls' side for me. Yeah, and I would just highlight real quick in, in some of the other field events, like the throwing events, uh, on the girls' side, you've got a pretty good competition to, at pole vault right now with uh, Annie Smith from Boise and also Lizzie Ramey from Capitol High, a, a pair of 5A pole vaulters. They've each cleared 11 feet, 1 inch. That's a PR for both. And for Lizzie Ramey, that's actually the Capitol school record. She set that in, in wow. cr- crazy enough. It was a Boise Eagle dual meet between those two squads where both of them were able to clear 11 foot one. Imagine that. That's pretty Man, cool. I, I would have loved to watch that, that meet to see those two going back and forth like that. Yeah, that would have been really cool. And then uh, on the boys side, you know, Seth Rathbun from Eagle has already thrown the shot put 57 feet, 10 inches, which, you know, anytime you're, you're over 55 feet, that's, that's kind of a whole nother level. So let me ask you uh, at the five, a four, a levels, you need kind of a good team and and it's kind of like wrestling, right? You can have those great individuals winning events, but you also need, you know, third, fourth, fifth place finishers across the board. If you want to bring home a team title as a three, a competitor uh, in your career in high school, how is how easy is it to kind of ride a couple of athletes to to overall team success? Do you still need that depth at the three A two A level, or can you rely on a couple of studs? I'll tell you how easy it is. It's impossible. It is. It's impossible <laughs> to win a, a state championship as a as a track team with just a couple of studs, and that really it, it's completely true. Honestly, um, obviously, you know, you have your studs. And they're going to go out and do their thing. Uh, they're going to get first, second, third, or whatever. Uh, and some schools have more than those than others. But where you win a state title is going to be in in your fourth and fifth and sixth guys who can step up their game uh, and pedal. Uh, it's like it's the people that. So when you go to the when you go to the state meet, um, we're talking about three A. It's over at, at Middleton every year. If you go there. Um, of course, the, the fun things to watch are the people setting state records and everything and and the, the big ticket events and everything. But where the state championships are won uh, aren't with those events, as important as, as those are. They're won uh, by people stepping up. Somebody comes in, maybe maybe a relay team comes in ranked sixth in the state and they end up finishing third. Uh, that That's what's going to be the difference here. And as far as three, it goes. This year, I, I think early season favorite is Kimberly to win the whole thing. We talked about how many athletes they have. And uh, then, uh, of course, Sugar Salem, uh, perennial again and again and again. So many state championships. Uh, also, South Fremont, a bunch of great athletes uh, this year. They're leading in in a number of different categories early on in the season. Uh, now, what I'll say is this, that one thing we don't know is uh, we still have a very small sample size. Uh, so some teams have gone to 
maybe three or four meets by now. Some have just gone to one. Uh, so we don't have a lo whole lot of sample size yet, and we don't have a lot with good weather either. Uh, not, not a lot of time with good weather. So uh, uh, this is just kind of very preliminary early on in the season. But as far as the, the 3A ranks go, I would say Kimberly is the favorite to win it right now. Main thing is that they're very balanced at so many different events. That's what you need to win a state championship. Alec Pope, one of our own at IdahoSports.com. Thanks for helping us uh, navigate a somewhat muddy track and field field. You know, it yeah. sounds like uh, this is a topic we might have to circle back to a little bit later on in the season after some some more time has passed and things have gotten more established. Yeah, absolutely. Love to, to get back on and uh, tell you how right I was or how wrong I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, chances are if, you're, uh, if your track predictions are anything like your NCAA bracket, I don't know about you, but me personally, mine's already in the garbage can. So Yeah, so <laughs> well, that doesn't bode well then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alec Pope from Idaho Sports. Thanks for joining us here on the IdahoSports.com prepcast. Awesome, thanks. All right, once again, that was IdahoSports.com broadcaster Alec Pope. We ran a little long on the prepcast today. Sorry, we usually try to keep it to about 30, 35 minutes, but man, there was so much good track and field stuff to talk about. And really, as we said, some eye-opening performances early on in the season. And as we kind of get into April and, and May, early May, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how those times and distances change and, and the leaders in each individual competition change as well. It's, yeah, out of the gate, though, a great start to the track and field season. That'll do it for this edition of the IdahoSports.com PrepCast, presented by Steve's hometown Toyota in Ontario, where for the 18th straight year, they've been named Toyota's President's Award winner for outstanding customer service. Don't forget to check out Steve's hometown Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, and Fruitland, and Steve's hometown Motors and Weezer. The Steve's hometown dealerships proud to support the hometown student-athletes as sponsor of the PrepCast here on IdahoSports.com. This podcast available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. We've got it up on SoundCloud and on our website, IdahoSports.com. So please just do us a favor. If you like the podcast, if you like the content, subscribe, rate, and review. That helps our numbers. That helps the algorithms that the Magic Elves out in Techland. <laughs> it helps the algorithms that they put together, which gets our PrepCast out to more listeners. So please uh, rate, subscribe, review our podcast. That'll do it for this edition. I'm Brandon Bainey. Thanks for listening to this edition of the IdahoSports.com PrepCast. <laughs>